0: Let's travel west. Yes, southwest to be exact. Hey everybody, I'm your host James Kevin O'Connor for the Dharmic Evolution, audio video artist, singer, songwriter, and master storyteller, and today Robin T. Smith is going to join us. Robin is a composer, author, musician, extraordinary songwriter. He is also a teacher of virtual instruments, and he's going to share stories about George Martin and the Beatles about virtual instruments, and many other cool things. So strap up your seatbelts and let's go for a ride. I'd like to welcome everybody to, uh, today to the Dharmic Evolution. With me today, I have a dear old friend uh, who I met in L.A. years ago. His name is Robin T. Smith. And Robin is an extraordinary musician, composer, instructor, teacher, the guy has it all going on, and I'm really delighted to have you on board, Robin. Welcome to Dharmic Evolution. Very happy to be here. Excellent. So let's rewind the clock a little bit. It was LA that we met. It was uh, four or five years ago at a music conference, and I met so many cool people that weekend, you amongst them, and then you know fast forward from that you ended up on my 175 cherry lane album which you were extraordinary on you're playing you were you did piano for me you did organ on that record and uh i can't thank you enough for making that project what it what it ultimately became man it was just a great experience and and we were we were like the uh you know, the, we were the internet musicians at that time. It was still relatively new. As a matter of fact, I was explaining the process to people that, yeah, I got these uh, friends I developed all across the country, and uh, you know, we just share files and we we send our performances back and forth. And a lot of people looked at me like kind of cross-eyed, like, how, how do you do that? And it wasn't really that difficult, but uh, it it allows you to. Um, to not be restricted in, uh, in your approach to music, which was great. So, Robin, tell me, like, uh, where did it all start for you? Let's start. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Texas?
1: Well, uh, partially. Um, I was uh, born in Houston, but uh, we ended up moving to uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And uh, that's where I got my uh, uh, first taste of piano lessons from. Uh, it was a nun, a Catholic nun
0: and uh you of, had that too huh
1: oh yeah. <laughs> she had the fastest ruler in the west <laughs> uh, uh it ended up i ended up being in a class with oh i guess about uh 25 or 30 girls and uh uh it was it was just one of those things i, I ended up being the only guy in class
0: how did you pull that off
1: uh <laughs> it was not by choice
0: uh <laughs> how uh, old how old were you
1: uh, I was in the third grade, so I guess like around nine, ten years old. Yeah, somewhere.
0: couldn't have happened in eighth grade, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no,
0: of course not. Right. But uh,
1: it was uh, an interesting story. Uh, we had a piano recital, and they usually ranked it from the uh, beginners to the uh, to the best in the class. And uh, I was second to last. There was a young lady uh, behind me. She was a little bit older, and uh, she you know pretty good. But I pulled the, uh, the second-to-last slot, and the piece that I played was this thing called La Calvacata del Usari. Um, I think it means something like the charge of the cavalry or something like that. But at any rate, it was a very uh, bombastic piece, uh, this kind of a, a striding left hand and uh, very militaristic. And I was so nervous that uh... when i went up there i just really leaned into the piano and it was i'm sure it was the loudest it was all night but the upshot of the story was that uh... at the end there was some uh, i guess higher-ups in the uh, catholic church that uh... came around and uh... we talking to my parents and uh... telling them that uh... they thought i was wonderful and you know you know all the rest of it, it gave me the big head but uh... it was i guess what it was is that uh, the young ladies that played before you know being you know they were elementary school girls and they were very tainty and uh, just cute as could be and here the only guy and I come up there and I I really bombed them you know bombed the place so um so that
0: it, was it you knew that you knew that piano resonated with you and that was your instrument immediately
1: yeah yeah and it was right around the time, I guess, uh, just maybe a little bit before the uh, uh, the Beatles uh, made their appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show.
0: So, yeah, that did it for everybody, didn't it? Yes, it sure did. <laughs> hey, um, so so when did you know that you were a composer? Like, what happened to say, wow, I'm going to write something? Like, how old were you and what were the circumstances surrounding that? Like, did you get inspired by something and, and just say, hey, I'm gonna write a song? Like how did that happen for you?
1: Well, it's a little bit different of a story. I was, uh, uh, I guess you'd call it creatively uh, underemployed and uh, I found myself uh, in Baton Rouge. Uh, We had moved to New Orleans for a while and I played in some rock bands over there, but uh, I ended up in Baton Rouge and uh, uh, an acquaintance of mine came up and said that the uh, LSU School of Music was holding auditions. And I'd already given college a try one time and didn't do very well, but I thought, on a lark, I'd go ahead and go to the music school and just see if I could get in, and I happened to remember this little classical piece that I'd played, oh, decades before, and I got in, but with the stipulation as a, as a composition major instead of performance. And so I thought, okay, well, you know, that sounds good, because, you know, those uh, comp- uh those uh, performance majors, they're under the gun, they've got to be really good and there's, like anything else, there's really no security. But anyway, I I went ahead and went for it and come to find out that I kind of had a knack for it and um, it went from there. In music school, one thing that I really liked about music school is that it did expose me to types of music that I'm sure I would have never had heard otherwise. Some, uh, some stuff's like uh, modern composers, uh, what I call bleep and bloop music. Um,
0: what is that, bleep and bloop music?
1: Well, it's like if you take a synthesizer and you kind of close your eyes and you tweak the settings and then you press a key. And okay. what you get is what you get. And uh, I kind of like that. I mean, I kind of consider myself a kind of meat and potatoes guy. But when it comes to the arts, I really like modern
0: art. So you, so you like the idea of just coming up with sounds that are unique and, and just individual sounds that, 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 that inspires you?
1: Very much so. Yeah. so.
0: So tell me, like when I met you, you played me this track called Rachel's Dream, which I flipped over. I thought it was amazing. So how did you end up getting to that point where you were writing those kinds of songs and, co- and composing that kind of music?
1: Well, well, now, I do like that modern art, but... Uh, for me, if you take the, oh, the traditional way of thinking of uh, music is uh, you break it down into rhythm, which for me is the most important component of music, and then harmony, which I love, and melody, which here in, uh, in the U.S., I believe probably you'd get a lot of people saying that melody is the most important. Yes. And then the, the last piece of the puzzle is, uh, I'd call it timbre or orchestration. Uh, the way all of the uh, sounds fit together. Well, in that particular piece, I had come up with this really—it uh, was uh, what, what you call a, a repeating figure, an ostinato—and uh, I played it with a, uh, a guitar patch. And, and and you remember the uh, and the way the song went is that the the guitar patch it was it was. I had the headphones on, and it was gorgeous, and I was just kind of playing along with it, and then then when I was done, I was thinking, okay, now I need to have some kind of melody with this, and I really liked the way the piano sounded, so I ended up, uh, a conscious decision, making the melody in the upper register of the piano, and not using any of the lower register of the piano whatsoever. I saved that for something else. It was, I think, a grand total of four different sounds in that particular song. The uh, the guitar rhythm or ostinato figure, the piano melody high up, uh, and then a bass sound uh, that would just, I guess it was like once a bar, it would emphasize uh, whatever the root note was of the chord that the car- guitar was playing. right and then uh... as a bridging device it was some kind of pad sound that i would fade in and fade out at uh... uh... crucial times in the song as as a bridge Right. and well you heard the result and i was really really happy with it very uh... very uh... i guess uh... emotional piece. it was uh, i don't know how to say it just a very uh... uh had a lot of emotion to it
0: it was very ethereal who was Rachel uh it uh she uh, she was a lady
1: in my dreams
0: cool very cool hey Uh, if somebody wants to get Rachel's dream where do we go you got to call me (laughs) okay okay we'll get to that at the end for sure so hey tell me about if people were just sitting here listening, you're describing music that's very, very beautiful. It's, uh, it's all instrumental and it captivates you and takes you places. That's why the minute you put that headset on for me, you know, I shared your headset and when we were in LA, I just loved what I heard. So what style of music, and I hate to pigeonhole, but just to give somebody the right, you know, the right state, the right continent, if you will, what genre or style of music would you consider that type of music?
1: Well, I've heard it uh, called uh, a couple of different things, and this is a question that I've uh, thought about before. But I guess what I like, the phrase that I would like would be uh, a contemporous instrumental.
0: I love that. Contemporous and instrumental. That's very, very cool. Yeah. That's That's the first I've ever heard anybody coin that phrase. That's very, very good. So, hey, tell me about... um, uh, Robin, tell me about Austin. Now, you're living in Austin, Texas right now, right? And I've heard for a couple of years now that that is becoming the hotbed of music. It's the new Nashville West, if you will. So tell tell me and my listeners about what is going on out there, man. What's happening with the music scene?
1: It's one of those, I guess it's kind of like a a music magnet. It's a uh, it's amazing in the sense that you can go out any night of the week and see, oh, anything. Oh, uh, saw belly dancers the other night. Uh, uh, the guys were playing Balkan music, except there were belly dancers with them. I've seen Brazilian music, I've seen Americana, straight ahead rock, rap, uh, classic rock, jazz. Straight ahead and bebop, and then uh, I guess you'd call it free jazz. And the crazy part about it is, it's uh, it's coffee shops, uh, of course, you know, nightclubs. Uh, Big thing that I've been getting into lately is uh, house concerts. It's a way to support local musicians because the clubs are not paying in my opinion, not paying what they should.
0: You know, I've heard about this for years that the house club circuit is actually a pretty good way to make a living.
1: Yes. Yeah. You
0: you know, you go around, you get paid very well. (laughs) And I haven't experienced it myself. I've, I've done a few like just, you know, very, very casual, but never on the road type of thing where, you know, they put you up, they let you stay over, they feed you, they invite all these people, they pay you a nice chunk of money, and then you sell all your product, whatever CDs or whatever you have on top of that. So it turns out to be not a bad way, right?
1: Yes. Uh, and I've met some people that were absolutely wonderful, and they're of a like mind. They want to support the arts. It's kind of a, I guess, you know, back in the, uh, in the old days, uh, like uh, Mozart and Beethoven, they had their patrons that supported them while they wrote. right. Uh, and now this is kind of like a, I don't know, uh, maybe a Kickstarter program on an ongoing basis for just a, uh, a- any artist that, uh, that can convince uh, somebody to put on a house concert. And what's crazy about it, though, is that, I mean, here in Austin, they even have, uh, of all places, they've got uh, music in, in the grocery stores. And not just music, but, I mean, really, really good music. In the grocery stores, some of these guys are just killer on their instruments.:
0: So this reminds me of uh, when you first described it, it reminded me of South Beach, because when I was down there a few years ago, it was, it was like that you walked down the strip in South Beach, and you know, from the strip, right on the beach, every, every genre, every type, every style of music you can imagine was on that strip. But it sounds to me like, you know, it's the whole city of Austin. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty much everywhere. Uh, last night I stepped out on my uh, porch and I could hear. It's a Wednesday night thing that the uh, uh, Music Federation here in Austin puts on uh, every summer, where they set up over in Zilker Park, a nice big stage with big lights and the you know I mean the major uh, touring system, and I guess the place is about. Oh, maybe about a mile or so away, a mile and a half or so. And I could hear him, you know, pretty much like a nice radio. So,
0: right. Yeah. And, uh, again, it reminds me of, the, you know, what you're describing is kind of like Nashville. I mean, uh, there are people like just excellent, excellent top shelf players everywhere and, um, although it's, you know, it's a big, big music, uh, or country music town, there's, there's all kinds of genres happening down there. It's not just restricted to country. Um, so it sounds like, um, how did this happen with Austin? Just, it just seemed to happen like overnight.
1: I'm, I'm kind of thinking that it was, uh, uh Willie and Waylon and the boys. Uh, they, I know they had contracts with, uh, record companies back in Nashville, but, uh, the way I understand it is Willie just does what he does, and it wasn't quite fitting in the country mold. So uh, when his contract ran out, he hightailed it back to Austin and started—I uh, I don't know if you'd call it the Cosmic Cowboy uh, experience—but I remember uh, living in Baton Rouge and listening to oh, like New Riders of the Purple Sage and oh, great uh, band. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Poco, and of course Willie and uh, Waylon Jennings, and uh, oh, Rusty Weir. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. Uh, the the thing that I, I like about Austin, though, is that uh, instead of being pigeonholed into one particular uh, type of music, mainly the country or Americana, it's got a, you know, I guess it's pretty wide ranging the, uh, the stuff that you can go and hear any, you know, any night of the week or any day, really. I mean, it's, it's pretty much any time, but usually at night.
0: Right. Hey, um, I want to talk about your, um, foray into teaching people. You were involved as uh, a professor of electronic music, um, you know, composition, recording. Um, how did you get into that? How did you get into, um, you know, get interested in electronic music, first of all, and then what led you to teaching others about it?
1: Well, uh, part of the curriculum uh, back at LSU, uh, one of the electives was electronic music, and they happened to have one of those uh, old uh, Moog uh, systems, the ones that were in the different cabinets, kind of like what uh, Keith Emerson from Emerson Lake and Palmer played. Yeah. uh, That you had to manually patch the patch cord from the output to the input, And uh, so that's where I got into that bleep and bloop stuff. But when I was approached, uh, the local, uh, uh, let's see, it was Northwest Vista College needed an instructor and someone had mentioned my name. And normally they require, I think it's a master's degree in Texas to be able to teach. But uh, for whatever reason, they decided to give me a... a special dispensation because of work experience, because I uh, had a CD out by then, and I played with several bands, I've done live sound, I mean, you know, the list goes on forever, it seems like, but I was able to put the, uh, the curriculum for that course together uh, the way I saw fit, and they gave me a curriculum uh, that they had used before, but it wasn't set in stone, So I was able to put the curriculum together. I kind of looked at it uh, along the lines of how would I want to be taught? What would I uh, look for uh, if I was being taught electronic music composition? And plus, things are a whole lot different now. Back when I was doing it before, everything was uh, onto reel-to-reel. And when you set up that uh, Moog synthesizer, the patch cords... You had to do your take right then and there because there was no returning to that patch once you took the patch cords out. It was a, a classroom environment and there were a certain number of people that were all allowed access to this thing.
0: So in other words, you, when you created that specific sound, you had to physically patch the cable in to get the sound? Yep. That was part of the programming
1: Oh, and then what you got was what you got and when you walked away you you, you never
0: looked back so and, it was lost forever until you could replicate that exact sound so you got it
1: on tape and you know it's kind of like mixing with effects these days you know, there's you, know, you can make a case for it or against it and I'm I'm on firmly on both sides of the uh, both camps
0: so when you were teaching this did you take like case studies of certain songs like Keith Emerson's a great example I was a huge Emerson Lake uh, Palmer fan uh, I, I saw him, I don't know how many times, you know, five or six times, I'm sure. But um, would you take something like that and say, okay, we're going to try to replicate this. I'm going to teach you how this sound uh, evolved.
1: Uh, Kevin, that's really, it's, that's, a, that's a great question because on the uh, very first day of class, I would take, of all things, uh, an old Beatles tune, uh, She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. And then I'd have uh, one of the students sit at the uh, computer so he could uh, start and stop the uh, audio file, and then I would uh, on the uh, on the whiteboard I would diagram the song out just uh, bars and beats, and then wherever a specific event happened, I would go ahead and write down what had happened. If you remember the song, it starts out like uh, let's see, uh, let's see, I, I believe it starts out with a drum. I'm trying to remember now, but it starts out with a drum, and then uh, they play the uh, the guitar riff. And every time the uh, the the guitar riff made a, a reemergence in the song, I would note where it was. And the beauty of the Beatles, and and of course Sir George Martin, was that when they constructed the song, uh, you know, uh, Sir George was a, a classically trained violinist, so you know, right. He, yeah he uh he had a a firm grasp of the classical forms and in other words if you're going to make a statement of a theme go ahead and restate the theme later on maybe with a variation in there and if uh if you're i guess more or less following the rules you're going to make a another restatement of the theme uh towards the end again maybe with a variation maybe not but the neat part about it was Uh, the first thing I was trying to uh, show the, uh, the, well, I can't call them kids, but uh, the students was that uh, the most boring thing in the world would be to take, say, like a drum loop and then extend it out for, you know, three minutes and 15 seconds. and just One drum loop. And maybe the second most boring thing would be having some kind of repeated bass pattern on top of that. But there are things that you can do to put those little variations in there just to pique the listener's interest. So part of what I taught in that class, part of it was uh, literally composition. And I came up with this uh, really cool way of coming up with a melody. Uh, and part of it was orchestration because that's very much, very much a part of the uh, musical process these days.
0: Right. You know, that always, that always astounded me about George Martin, you know, Sir George telling the Beatles that they were horrible songwriters. <laughs> In the beginning, you know, it was like uh, they're, they're very terrible songs, but they're very charming people. I told them to go write more songs and come back. And, uh, you know, and look what happened from there. But, but it's very interesting what you just stated about how you do all that. That's, and, and why couldn't I have a teacher like you when I went to school? That would have been really cool. You sound like a fun guy to have in class. Uh, well, I, I like <laughs> the thing. so.
1: You, one of the neat things about it was, uh, was that uh, if you want to learn something, teach it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Hey, tell me about the virtual instruments because that's your, your latest thing, right? You've you, uh, you like, been investigating the virtual instruments and you've been constructing new songs. Is that right?
1: Yes. Um,
0: cool. I, bring it, man. What's going on with that?
1: Well, there's a, there's a couple of instruments that uh, that I've been uh, that I've had for quite a while, but it, for me it was more along the lines of find something that's similar to what I'm looking for and then tweak it a little bit, and that's fine. But then I just got a I guess a bee in my bonnet that I wanted to learn more about it. Um, you know, better late than never, I guess. So the instruments uh, in question one is. Put out by a company called Spectrasonics, and they have a, a whole line, one specifically for bass sounds called Trillion, which is absolutely amazing, another one for percussion called uh, Stylus RMX, and the third one that really got me was uh, this uh, synthesizer called Omnisphere. And the capabilities of these things are it 's just it 's mind boggling you 've heard it said uh, you could spend a lifetime exploring the sounds, and I used to think, uh, yeah, well, that makes great copy but uh, but i 'm going to tell you something. I have changed my mind right hey. I, The instruments are amazingly deep. The other company is this one out of Germany called uh, Native Instruments, and they 've got uh, it 's a whole suite of uh, oh, I guess, virtual instruments, synthesizers, sample players, and effects. And I just took it upon myself to type in on Google uh, one particular uh, virtual instrument that really caught my fancy is this one called Reactor, spelled R-E-A-K-T-O-R. And if you Google Reactor Tutorials, Uh, You get this whole list of other people that have taken the time to put these tutorials on how they use reactors up on YouTube. So I would sit here first thing in the morning with a cup of coffee and just kind of go through this tutorial, you know, just following them, you know, hit spacebar to stop it for a second while I do what, you know, follow what he's done on the screen. And then while the thing is still stopped, I'll go ahead and go, Okay, what happens if I turn this particular knob and just make a note of it? The uh, results, um, uh, some of them, I'm not going to say everything sounds good because it doesn't, but some of them are absolutely stunning how gorgeous they are.
0: So can you describe, like take Omnisphere for a minute, can you describe some of the instruments and the sounds? Like what kind of sounds are they?
1: Oh, stuff like, um, well, synthesizer, but they can also have, uh, say, a string sound. There's this one patch on there called, uh, I think it's... uh, uh, string adagio and it's one of those things that uh, occasionally we'll have some, uh, some friends over for supper and there's been a couple of times where I'll take him back here and say let me, let me play a little something and I'll sit here and play like a little oh it might sound uh, I guess kinda like uh, Bach or uh, maybe Mo- not so much Mozart because he's a little more playful but uh, just like say some minor chords that resolve one to the other and the way the sound is constructed is just is so gorgeous. It's almost you can play anything, and the thing is going to sound fantastic.
0: But is this on piano? You- I trigger
1: it with my, uh, with my, my main MIDI keyboard. Right. It has to have piano sounds on it. But when I play the instrument, I send it out as MIDI into my computer. And that's, uh, so when I play it through MIDI, then I'll, if I have it set up to that uh, Adagio string adagio sound, that I'll get that string sound. But they, they have plenty of bleeps and bloops, uh, lots of uh, pads. Uh, one thing that's really caught my interest lately are these, uh, like say if you were to take a sustained sound, but then trigger it with something else so that it puts out this rhythmic pattern. And the, uh, the rhythm stays the same but the pitch that it plays will follow whatever you're playing on your keyboard. So if I'm playing something, uh, uh, say uh, A minor, for example, it might be going da 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 da, and then I'll turn around and play something, if you know, say E flat, for example, and it'll st- still be doing that da 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 da, you know, sound like that. Uh,
0: and this is all in Reactor that, that you're I- describing now.
1: You can do it in Reactor. I was just talking about the uh, the Atmosphere, but it's okay. To set it up in either one.
0: Right now, what what kind of cost is uh, software like this? Let's see, Omnisphere, If you don't,
1: if you've never owned it before, I think is going for I want to say three hundred and ninety nine dollars, and you can probably get it. Street price is probably three twenty nine. Right. Uh, any of those, uh, like Sweetwater or Musician Friends, or you know any of those online stores, and. I cannot recommend it highly enough.
0: Yeah, a lot of these, these great uh, software packages have come way down in price. Hey, uh, moving on to um, tell me what are, you, are, what are you reading these days? If anything, are you too busy or uh, like uh, even for just um, not necessarily music, uh, spiritual, anything in particular you'd like to share with us that's like a good read for you these days?
1: Well, I'm slowly making my way through this one book by uh, Arthur, uh, his name is Douglas Hofstetter, and he had written a book that uh, back, I wanna say in the late 70s, maybe 1980, called uh, Godel, Escher, and Bach. Okay. Okay, now the book that I'm reading right now, I got about a third of the way through that book and just, I I had to put it down because it was kind of mind-bending. But a friend of mine turned me on to this, uh, another book that he had, he put out a little bit later, I guess you could say it's uh, Godell Escherbach Light, and um, uh, almost all the way through that one, it's called I Am a Strange Loop.
0: I Am a Strange Loop, I love that one. <laughs> I, got, I got a couple of guys that could do a lot with that title. So, uh, so what is that one about?
1: Oh, geez. Um, oh, I guess you could say The Nature of Consciousness. Okay. You know, I mean, uh, uh, you've heard, uh, as a matter of fact, the keyboards that I use when I go out and gig, I'm a big Kurzweil fan.
0: Okay. Uh, I know great keyboard. Oh, yeah. yeah. Wonderful keyboard.
1: Uh, so many of them are great these
0: days. And has its own sound, though. You yes. Know.
1: As a matter of fact, the piano sound on there, I would venture to say uh, the piano sound on the one that I have, I think the, it fits into an 8 meg, not gigabyte, an 8 meg uh, memory slot. Uh, and wow. me, I think it sounds better than some of these multi-gigabyte pianos that I've had the pleasure of playing through.
0: How do they do that? How do, that's a great technology. To- Here, here's a
1: little... Uh, the guy, uh, apparently, it came about... Uh, he, you could, could say that he's the father of sampling. Uh, he's the guy that came up with that uh, voice-to-text recognition. Oh, okay. And uh, when he built this keyboard, uh, let's see, voice to text, actually text to, uh, I think text to voice uh, conversion. And his, uh, he uh, built this synthesizer and the very first one, I think serial number 0001 was sold to Steepy Wonder.
0: Oh, wow.
1: Yeah, now he's written a few books, and I've not had a chance to check him out yet, but he's a big fan I guess if you could say fan, of uh, virtual intelligence and uh, you know, the, the warnings that we should heed before we just go ahead and give everything up to the machines.
0: That's really awesome. Hey, let me ask you this. Um when you're doing downtime, Robin, like what's your favorite type of music to listen to? You're a composer, so you know, you're, when you're writing and you're in your, you're in your dharmic uh, moment, you are doing work, but it's probably not work for you like most of us who write. It's just what we do. But when you're just doing downtime, like what's your favorite go to stuff? Like what do you like to listen to?
1: Well, lately uh, I've been listening to uh, uh, Ambient music, but I've always had this thing for uh, Brazilian jazz.
0: How do you describe ambient music?
1: Oh, stuff like, uh, oh, I guess kind of like, uh, I wouldn't say that American Indian like R. Carlos Nakai, that type of
0: uh,
1: ambient, but I love, uh, absolutely love his stuff. But I would say something like, uh, if you can imagine wind blowing outside of a cave. Yeah. And then for some reason, when the wind hits a certain speed, you get a resonant uh, sound in the cave itself. Yes. Very cool. You know, just something like that. And then um, when I'm not in an ambient move, mood, I really, really uh, love uh, uh, bossa novas uh, and Brazilian jazz, jazz rock. Right. Um, Along the lines of uh, Flora Purim and Ayrto and Ricardo Silvera, and guys like that.
0: So you listen to things that are like not even close to what the type of style that you write. Um,
1: yeah, I never really thought about it like that. But yeah, I, I
0: do the same thing. I, I like, you know, I'm a big lyricist guy and storyteller, but I like instrumental guitar music. I listen to Tommy Emmanuel. And uh, Michael Hedges and people like that, you know, who just like do these miracles on the guitar were just incredible. But that kind of puts me in the zone of, I don't want to think. I just want to soak it in and, and listen, you know. But uh, but yeah, the, I like the cave thing. That's very cool, man. Uh, who else? Who else do you like? Oh, well, let's see. Um, ACDC. <laughs> do you really?
1: <laughs> I swear.
0: I, I'm a fan too. I've been, been for like, since they came out, you know, and I never get tired of them. <laughs> I can't quite do like I don't think I could make it through a whole concert, uh, but I'm I've been that way my whole life. I'm like, all right, three four songs, and I'm good, man. I'm good. It's like okay, hey, let me just wrapping up here. I want to ask you, how do people get to your music? Cause because I, I want people to know where can they reach you. SoundCloud, uh, can we buy your music somewhere? Because uh, your stuff is killer. I love your music. And um, if you could just share with us, how do we reach Robin Smith? If somebody has a need for some production, some great piano playing, some um, somebody that can arrange something, how does someone reach Robin Smith and his music?
1: Well, I, I can give you my uh, email address. Uh, Please do. Robin underscore piano underscore Smith at Yahoo. Okay. And then as far as the SoundCloud, oh, geez, now that one's a little bit different. I've got I to gotta look on my uh, smartphone to check that out. But um,
0: Okay, so- but we could reach you at the email address and find out where you're... Th- How about Facebook? Are you on Facebook? As little as I can get by. Yeah, <laughs> okay.
1: I know I shouldn't I know that you know it's, it's a new era and that's what everybody's doing but right,
0: right. what
1: can I say I, I'm old school
0: that's okay man you, you're doing it right your, your music's wonderful and listen I just want to thank you so much for being a part of the Dharmic Evolution it was great I loved all the content the George Martin stuff all the stories you shared with us today it was a real pleasure to have you on board Robin and uh, thank you so much for being here today
1: Thank you for having me, and it was a pleasure.
0: All right, taking you from the newest hotbed of music in the USA, Austin, Texas, Robin T. Smith. Really enjoyed those stories, and always something to learn here on the Dharmic Evolution. I feel like I didn't get to go to college, but I'm having my own college right here. Enjoyed Robin's interview. Hope you guys did. I'm James Kevin O'Connor, audio video artist, singer, songwriter, and master storyteller. I look forward to seeing you on the next Dharmic Evolution, so I'll see you either on the socials or I'll see you from the stage.